This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Always a pleasure to have the Secretary of Education on with us. And it's always important to acknowledge he is and has been an educator as well. It's important to have people in that role. Educators often know what's best in the classroom. He's been in the classroom. Secretary Miguel Cardona joins us once again here on Make It Play. Mr. Secretary, how are you, sir? Great, great. Glad to be with you again, Mark. It's a pleasure to to have you with us. Um, First of all, you wrote an op-ed recently about this debate when it comes to teaching history in our schools. And and you wrote it, I mean, you went right into the lines then. This was published in the Tampa Bay Tribune where this battle is really being joined. Talk to us about that. And, and first of all, why you think it's important that history not be banned within our schools? You know, there's so many layers to this, uh, Mark. First of all, it wasn't history. It was black history. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't find fault with AP European history. Um, DEI efforts, um, pulling out books. It started with Toni Morrison. Recently, there was a book on Roberto Clemente that was pulled off shelves. Let's not beat around the bush here. This is an attempt to create division in schools so that the private option sounds better. Um, you know, I, I, there's a, there's a, there's a line that I have to kind of be careful not to cross too much. I don't want to be giving people national attention because they're doing things, but there's times we just got to speak up for what's right for kids and why Tampa. I visited Florida. I heard from educators. I've gotten messages. My wife's gotten messages from teachers in Florida that we know saying help. They needed to know that I hear them, I see them, and I knew it was going to get national attention anyway. So I wanted to make sure that I was listening to those teachers from Florida um, and those parents from Florida who were saying, you know, we need help. Um, They're concerned about the attack on public education as well. And you mentioned Roberto Clemente. I know there was even also a book that was banned about about Hank Aaron. These things are, are very bad. You've spoken out. Is there any more authority that you have as Secretary of Education that that can do anything about this? That you can. That's a great question. That's a great question because, you know, we're limited in our authority to control curriculum um, and to provide mandates into the local district. And you know what? That's how it should be. When I was a state commissioner or district leader or school principal, I didn't need Washington, D.C. telling me what I should be putting in my classrooms. And as Secretary of Education today, I still feel that way. It's local boards, state boards who have that responsibility. So I don't have the authority to tell them what their curriculum should be, but I have the bully pulpit. I have 
um, the ability to speak up on behalf of students and educators who are tired of having divisions sown in education for political points. We also have the Office for Civil Rights. And when there is a, uh, a request for an investigation because uh, a student, family, or a group of folks feel that their civil rights are being violated or targeted, we act and we act swiftly. So the Office for Civil Rights is, uh, is an extension of the Department of Education that ensures that our students' civil rights are being protected. And that's a responsibility we take seriously. Is there a civil rights investigation going on into this? There are civil rights investigations uh, uh, taking place on um, groups of students that are feeling uh, marginalized and, and pushed aside. Now, while I can't speak too much to um, open investigation, I will tell you, um, we have had more traffic and we have had uh, much more concerns, many more uh, concerns expressed. And as I said before, we take that very seriously. Students yeah. should feel welcomed in their school environment. Yeah, absolutely. As an educator, though, what what would you say about the importance of learning history, black history? You mentioned Alberto right. Clemente. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's black history is also history generally of people of color, yeah. uh, women. We're in Women's History Month. What would you say about the importance of young people being exposed to the histories right. of those who look like them? It's critically important. I'm going to I'm going to highlight the, the pioneers in this work, Dr. Gloria Ladson Billings, who taught us about culturally relevant pedagogy and how that engages students. I'm gonna bring up Dr. Rubin Sims Bishops, who I quote often um, because she, she coined the term windows, uh, mirrors and sliding glass doors. Our curriculum should be a window into other cultures. It should be a mirror where I can see myself in, in, in the literature. I can see people that look like me who have done amazing things in my history books. And it's a sliding glass door so I can explore other cultures. Is that not what we want for our children to be able to navigate the world, right? And be able to be successful in the world. And look, I, I, I recognize, um, you know, teaching our students accurate history, it, there's, there's parts of it that we're, we're not proud of, but it's really important to show our students how this is the, the greatest country in the world how this country, unlike any other country, is made up of diversity, is made up of people from different religions, different races, and we are the strongest country. That's the, that's the American story. So to shun parts of it is shunning what makes this great experiment the best country. Um, I want our students to have pride in that American flag, but, but also know the history um, and, and the challenges that we had to get to where we are. You know, on it, we got to be honest about our history or more likely to repeat it. And, and that's that's the most important point. So we don't make those same mistakes. Appreciate that. Talk to us about raise the bar, if you will. You know, I'm really proud of the work we're doing to be proactively lifting up education. I'm proud that the president's budget a couple of weeks ago reflects the, the values and the priorities around education. Look, I've been in education over two decades, Mark. Never have I seen the federal commitment uh, in education funding as I've seen here. I'm fortunately serving as secretary at this time. Uh, the president's budget, I think it was like a 14% increase. Okay, The last administration asked for an 11% decrease 
The previous administration, President Obama, I think it was like 11% increase. So this is the highest um, that we've seen ever. And the focus is raising the bar on academic achievement. We've normalized disparities in achievement in this country. The dollars are intended to close achievement gaps, to give students higher reading, higher math supports so that they could achieve at high levels, to provide mental health support for our students and address the teacher shortage that we have in this country. The teacher shortage is a symptom of the teacher respect issue in this country. We're putting policy and funding behind that. We're also wanting to increase pathways uh, for students to have options for career or college when they graduate high school. Look, I'm excited about the work we're doing. Um, we're also talking about pathways to multilingualism. In this country, we need to realize that being multilingual and, and multicultural is an asset. It's a superpower. You know, I, you're able to do more. You're able to compete internationally. I went to a summit in France about two, three months ago. The United States and maybe two other countries were the only ones that were monolingual. Why? We need to lead the world and we're going to promote multilingualism across the country. The president's budget reflects that. Um, as I said before, you know, there's some that want to sow division in education. Education unites. It's the great equalizer. It's a pathway forward. As a first-generation college student myself, man, public schools open doors for me. And um, there's so many students in this country, so much potential in this country. If we provide a quality education and access to higher education, think about where we can go as a country. You said the United States and would you say one or two other countries were the only ones that were monolingual? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, at the at the conference in France, we had 38 ministerial leaders, so secretaries of education from 38 countries. And, um, you know, most of those countries, the students there speak multiple languages. Um, we were one of a few where, um, you know, we have some programs and we have students that speak other languages that come into our schools. And oftentimes, by the time they graduate, they forgot their native language, but they take prestigious uh, elective courses in, in languages in high school. So we got work to do, but I'm confident um, that we're going to put our heads together and, and make sure we promote across the country the benefits of multilingualism. As always, we appreciate the Secretary of Education joining us to hear about these things, raise the bar, the increase in the budget, very important at this time, and also his take on the importance of, of Black history and all history of multicultural cultures in education. Mr. Secretary, as always, we thank you. Thank you, Reverend. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Also yesterday, the administration recognized the 13-year anniversary of the Affordable Care Act. Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra and Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services Administrator Shakita Brooks-Lashur held a press availability. First, Administrator Brooks-Lashur. How uplifting it was to celebrate with the president the incredible world that we live in now that the Affordable Care Act is celebrating 13 years. It is truly delivering better health to millions of people no matter the color of their skin, how much money they make, 
or where they live. 13 years ago, people who didn't have health care coverage through an employer or spouse couldn't find affordable coverage. 13 years ago, the thought of two consecutive record-breaking open enrollments in a federal health insurance marketplace sounded like an impossible dream. 13 years ago, our state partners had no option to expand Medicaid coverage to people in the communities who needed healthcare the most. And people had not yet benefited from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid's Innovation Center's work to transform our healthcare system into one that puts people at the center of their care. The investments of the Biden-Harris administration to protect their health and access to healthcare are paying off. Today, we are announcing that marketplace enrollment reached a record high. 16.4 million people selected a plan during this year's open enrollment. That is 4.4 million more people than when President Biden took office and more than double when the marketplaces were launched. And thanks to the expanded tax breaks in the American Rescue Plan and the Inflation Reduction Act, healthcare.gov consumers eligible for tax credits are saving at least 40% on monthly premiums on average. We shared a report on the 2023 Marketplace Open Enrollment today, which includes these and other incredible highlights. The team at CMS is working to ensure that, that the three M's in CMS, Medicare, Medicaid, and CHIP, and the marketplaces function as a lifelong safety net for the people we serve. Every day, we work closely with our state partners to protect the gains in Medicaid and CHIP enrollment by strengthening coverage and access and encouraging innovations by states that advance whole-person care. We're also encouraged by new states, as the secretaries just said, North Carolina uh, is our latest, eager to expand Medicaid and will continue to help states pursue that goal. And we have the CMS's Innovation Center, which honors the ACA every day in our tireless work to advance a healthcare system that achieves equitable outcomes through high quality, affordable person-centered care. We're gonna keep building on the success of the ACA, the most consequential piece of healthcare legislation since the creation of Medicare and Medicaid. So we have the first question from Jaren. Jaren, you should be able to unmute. Please identify your media outlet. Hi, hello. Hi. This is Jaren Keith Gander with the CREO. Uh, thank you, Secretary and Administrator, for doing this. Uh, I have two questions. My first question, uh, I believe it was reported last year that there was a 35% increase in the number of Black Americans with health coverage. Um, uh, do you know that number has increased, decreased, or remain the same in 2023. And with the enhanced federal Medicaid from ACA funding uh, set to be phased out, can we expect to see a decline in insured Black Americans? So thank you for thank you for the question. For African Americans, for uh, Black enrollees, we had, a, as you mentioned, a record increase uh, during last year's open enrollment, and we maintained those numbers. So there wasn't a significant change. Where there was a significant change, um, was in our Hispanic and Latino population, where again, there was a big jump up. We had a big jump up the first open enrollment, um, and we did again this year. And I would say that we continue to 
the Biden-Harris administration has made such a priority to make sure we have outreach across the country and are really working with trusted partners. And that's why we've seen a real increase in people of color, communities of color enrolling. And on your second question about Medicaid um, and the changes in uh, the law in terms of enhanced funding, we are laser focused on trying to make sure that people either stay in Medicaid if they're still eligible or transition to marketplace or employer-sponsored insurance coverage. This is something that the entire agency, along with our partners at HHS, we are working with the states. Uh, we are working with health plans, advocacy organizations to make sure that people know that they need to fill out their paperwork and um, may need to transition to new coverage. Now we have another question from uh, Reverend Mark Thompson. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you. Uh, following on, on Jaron's question, uh, how to has expansion and the continued ACA impacted both the maternal mortality rate and infant mortality rate, if, if not for all, but for, for African-Americans? So I would say a couple of things about that. And then, of course, Secretary, please add. I would say, as you probably saw, CDC released new numbers uh, over the last, uh, released new numbers last week showing that we are not headed in the right direction around the maternal health crisis. I would say that we, as uh, across the entire government, are very focused on addressing these outcomes. Have you seen leadership at the White House from particularly the vice president and ambassador Rice? It is, there are many, many factors that go into maternal health care. One incredibly important one is not just the care that you get when you are pregnant and after you are pregnant, but it is also about how you're having health care before you're pregnant and being able to um, have a trusted provider that is um, sensitive to all of all of your needs. We know that two out of every three um, deaths is preventable, according to the clinicians, and we're really focused on what we can do. We are really excited that states continue to expand postpartum coverage. I can speak for myself, as I know any mom can, um, of just how much you are juggling three months after your baby is born. And the idea that you would have to think about healthcare switching during that time is incredibly problematic. And a good section of the deaths happen postpartum, uh, which is why we are thrilled that Congress has given states this authority and we want to continue to see our states expand. I, I will only add that, um, as is usually the case with data, you, you need to see a few years of the data to start to see any trends. Uh, I, my optimistic suspicion is that what you are going to begin to see, especially in the states that have adopted the postpartum care challenge to move from 60 days of coverage to 365 days of coverage under Medicaid for women who qualify and their kids who qualify for Medicaid or CHIP, is that you're going to see far better trends as well as the fact that now more folks in the Black, Latino, Asian, Native American community are accessing healthcare through insurance in the marketplace. Now they won't have to wait to the administrator's point until they're about to deliver to start getting the healthcare they need. My wife as an OBGYN would tell you that the, the way, worst time 
to come and see your doctor if you're pregnant is when you're about to deliver. You need to come early. And the more that you have access to care because you have your own insurance, you will. And the more that states make it available to you through the Medicaid program, if you're a low income, then you could get the coverage you need from the get-go to the administrator's point about ensuring that we're, we're delivering care pre-delivery uh, baby. So I, I think this is all good news. I think COVID certainly has skewed the statistics, but moving out of COVID and moving forward with greater numbers of Americans with insurance and greater numbers of states willing to take our challenge to provide women with postpartum care to 365 days, I think we're going to start to move the dial. Thank you, Reverend. Now uh, let's do Mona Austin. I just wanted to um, ask if you have a sense of what areas, like in which states were most impacted. So, so uh, I, and the administrator will probably have more granular numbers or information on this, but I will tell you that seeing a state like North Carolina adopt expanded Medicaid means that for some of our poorest families and some of our hardest working but least income safe families, that having access to healthcare through the Medicaid expansion will be a godsend. Uh, having the ability through the Affordable Care Act for some of the families that are in between, they're, they're, they make too much money to be to qualify as being poor, but not enough money to be able to afford most health insurance. What the uh, Affordable Care Act has now done as a result of the president's real fight to make it more affordable is offer most people, four or five people who went, in, went on to the uh, marketplace website uh, on healthcare.gov to find an insurance plan, found a, a coverage for $10 or less a month in uh, premiums. That is phenomenal. And so all of that means that in places like uh, North Carolina with expansion to Medicaid, with coverage throughout the country now, far more affordable under the Affordable Care Act for everyone, we can make a difference. And of course, in states that haven't been willing to cover all of their residents where they could, like Texas or Florida, then you do have the chance of slipping through the cracks because you may not qualify for the coverage under Medicaid, or you may find that a plan under the Affordable Care Act will not meet your needs. But what we do know is that for more and more Americans, and now we're talking more than 300 million of us, uh, healthcare has become something within our grasp, and so has peace of mind. So with that, let me see if the administrator would like to add it. Uh, the secretary really covered it well. Um, I'm going to highlight for you two things. One, that our report that we're releasing this tells you state by state some of the increases. Some of the states I'll highlight are Alaska, West Virginia, Utah, Wyoming, South Dakota, and Texas as having really high percent increases. I would say you can hear a little bit of the similarities of those states. Some of the hardest hit parts of our country are um, because of the pandemic, have been uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. We also see that there are some movie states that um, have not expanded Medicaid, Texas uh, being um, uh, one of those. 
Georgia last year, which also has had high enrollment this year, last year we saw record numbers. And I think that what we've seen is that for people in states where their states have not expanded, that we see a very high enrollment above 100%. And that is part of the reason why I think that we've seen a jump in certain states because thanks to the subsidies, the extended tax credits, coverage is very, very affordable, particularly for people with modest incomes. But really across the nation, we've seen increases in expansion and it's uh, the increases in coverage, whether it's through marketplaces, which we're focused on today, um, or looking more broadly about all of the programs that um, are administered by CMS, where we're, we're seeing record high levels. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister or brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.